the last word on Today FM with Matt Cooper. Delighted we're joined today for the Culture Club by Anne Griffin, who has been one of our most successful new novelists in recent years. When All Is Said was her big hit of 2019, which won the Newcomer of the Year Award at the Irish Book Awards. And she now has her second novel out, Listening Still. Anne, thank you very much for joining us here on the Culture Club in the last word at Today FM. You came to writing a bit late, didn't you? I did. I was an old woman. Hardly <laughs> old, but just a little bit later than many. Yes. No, I was, um, I started writing in 2013, so I was 44. And the debut novel came out when I was 50. And in the middle, in, in between all of there, I did a, an, an MA in creative writing in UCD. So, yeah, I came to it really late. I'd been in bookselling in my 20s. I'd worked for Waterstones for eight years, both in Dublin and London in the gorgeous Dawson Street branch. Um, and uh, but I would never thought I'd, I'd be a writer like I, I, I mixed with many writers, but I always thought they were just it was never something that was in me, I felt even though I adore storytelling, I adore reading brilliant novelists. But it wasn't until, yeah, I, I had left Waterstones and I had gone to work um, for about 20 years in charities, in big charities in Dublin now. So I was both a, a, a community development worker and I moved then into the financial management end of things in, in the charities. That's so. an unusual route to go before <laughs> becoming a novelist, isn't it? Yes. But it certainly gives you plenty of life experience. To <laughs> well, it did. On. And that has come with me into my books, which is lovely. I mean, if I had tried to write a book at 20, it would have been dreadful. So um, I wouldn't want to change the journey that I took. But yes, it meandered. My my journey to writing totally meandered. And I'm glad of it. Well, how did you develop the confidence zone? The reason I asked that, we had mm-hmm. a fascinating conversation with Ian Robertson on the programme last week yeah. about his new book on confidence. Yes. And particularly when people become middle-aged, maybe they've had a <laughs> dream or whatever. Yeah. But having the confidence to actually go and try and do it is often something that they may be lacking. Absolutely. I mean, I, when I was doing the MA in UCD, I'd only been writing for two years. And I remember one night um, standing in Bazaars at 11 o'clock and one of my big friends, John Boyne, from our Waterstones days, I employed him in Waterstones. Um, and I remember ringing him at 11 o'clock, waiting for the last bus home to Mullingar, crying, saying, I, I, this is too much for me. This is absolutely too much for me. I, do, I haven't got it. I haven't got what it takes. And he was just brilliant because he was saying, look, this, you know, you do. You know, it's it's about just keep going. Um, and that's all I needed to hear from somebody in writing who says, yes, this is a tough road because you, you know, in order to write a good book, you have to have people who are going to read that book and say, we like this bit of it. We don't like this bit of it. We need you. Can, can you think about changing this? So you've got to get used to people giving you that critical feedback. So you are you are definitely growing a thicker skin. I don't think it ever gets thick enough, though. <laughs> just saying. You still have to, you know, deal with your demons about, oh, am I really that good enough um, you know and you suffer from imposter syndrome I certainly did on the second book um, Why so? I mean when you do, came to Listening Still which has just been published mm. how much were you influenced by if a need or a feeling of a need to repeat what you had done when when all is said or to try and do something entirely different or what were your editors <laughs> and publishers telling you? My edit and, uh, editors and publishers were extremely supportive. They very much wanted me to create whatever it is was was in me. So they weren't looking, they didn't give me uh, the prescription and say, this is what we want from you, Anne. Um, and so what was, I mean, what I ended up writing was exactly that, something that had been in me and kind of... Um, in my brain for a fair few years um, and 
you know, at Seton and Undertake. So I'd always been interested in in writing about the world of funeral directing uh, because of the mysteries that surround it. Um, but my issue was that I suppose because when all said uh, when all is said had done so well that I was I was kind of. I had that voice sitting on my shoulder, my own voice, my own demons, just saying, can you do it again? Are you really able for this or or are you a one hit wonder? You but know. you're happy now that you have I it done. I am. I am so proud that it's out. I mean, it, 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 it was hard at times, not just because of that voice on my head, but also because, you know, trying to trying to promote when all is said and get into the heart of another book. It's as somebody said, it's like having an affair. You're 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 splitting yourself in two almost. So it took its time to come, but when it did, um I I am so glad to say that I fell in love with the character of Jeannie Masterson, who's the, the main character here. We normally start the Culture Club with music, but given that you're talking about books and given your own background working in Waterstones, mm. I want to ask you about your favourite books and authors. You've nominated Mary Lawson as your favourite author. Why so? So Mary Lawson is a Canadian writer who lives in London, has lived most of her life really in London, or not, not in London, in the UK, I should say. Um, and she writes wonderful novels set in Northern Ontario. So she writes small communities, very cut off communities, very isolated. And she just gets to the heart of how a community works. Um, the quirky people, the the lonely, isolated people um, and, you know, people coming together and making making a life in desolate places. Um, and she's very humorous. She's extremely funny. Um, and so her latest novel is called A Town Called Solace. And I was so delighted that this novel came out because she had said after she wrote what I call the, the Crow Lake series. So it's a series of three books. They aren't, ne- they aren't necessarily connected in characters, but they're connected in place. After she wrote those three books, she said, that's it, I'm retiring. And so when this book landed this year, I was overjoyed. She is an inspiration to me. How did you find her? Because she wouldn't be a particularly well-known no, name, No, she is isn't. She? Well, I suppose because of being in in the world of books, I, I knew I knew her, her books. Um, but where I fell in love with her was in UCD. Because in when I did the MA in UCD, um, she actually came over as a part of, I, I can't really remember, I think it was a celebration of Canadian literature and culture. And I was sitting in the audience and I got to hear her story. I didn't know that much about her in terms of her background. But she said, you know, I didn't get published until I was 55. So I was there in the audience, a 46 year old thinking, OK. It's absolutely You've got time possible. On your side. Loads of time, loads of time. Nine years. I I thought this is this is going to be okay. And I left to come home uh, to Mullingar to get into bas- to Basaris to to get the to have the two hour journey home. And I was so inspired and upbeat that day. So she remains one of my favourites. We have a clip from a town called Solace. This is Mary Lawson. Clara was shocked. Where had he got the keys? He shouldn't have them. Mrs. Orchard had told her there were three sets of two keys, one for the front door and one for the back, and Mrs. Orchard had one, Mrs. Joyce, who came in to clean once a week, had another, and Clara had the third. Clara wanted to tell her mother, who was no longer on the phone, but her mother sometimes cried after speaking to the policeman, and her face got all red and blotchy, and it frightened Clara. And anyway, she couldn't leave her place at the window. 
If she failed to keep watch for her, Rose might not come home. A light came on in Mrs. Orchard's hall. The glow of it spilled out onto the porch for a moment before the man closed the door. It was getting quite dark inside the house. The living room of Mrs. Orchard's house was right next to the living room of Clara's house, and both had windows at the side, facing each other, as well as at the front, facing the road. Clara scooted across to the side window. So long as she was at one of the windows, Rose wouldn't mind which one. Arriving just as Mrs. Orchard's living room light came on, and the man walked in. Clara could see everything that happened, and the first thing was that Moses, who'd been hiding under the sofa, he always hid there if anyone but Mrs. Orchard or Clara came into the house, shot across the room and out of the open door at the other end so fast that he disappeared before the man was fully through the doorway, so the man couldn't have seen him. Mary Lawson, A Town Called Solace is the novel. And Griffin is with us for the Culture Club today. So let's go to music. And we always ask everybody for the first piece of music they've ever bought, in your case, a single. What is it? Banana Republic by the Boomtown Rats. Why so? Why did you pick that? I bought this when I was 12 years of age <clears throat> and I was so excited by it. I remember standing outside Golden Distance and Leary with it in my hand. Um, and at that age, I hadn't a clue what this song was saying. I hadn't a clue that really it was a damnation of Irish society, particularly you know, government and church. Um, and I hadn't a clue at all. What I loved was how Bob Geldof sounded and the music. I just thought it was one of the most magical things. And I was I was so much a child that I was still into kind of stickers. And I remember I had a banana sticker and I remember <laughs> sticking this on, you know, the middle of the single um, and, and just being just I just listened to it over and over and over again. Um, and it was it was just great. And in later years, I had a lovely moment um, that brought me back to that was when um, Bob Geldof Sr. was my was my landlord um, and he was the nicest landlord I've ever had. He was an absolute gentleman and he was so kind to me because I remember I was going through a particularly hard time. Um, and I went out to him one day. He was in the back garden because his house and the house, um, uh, the house of flats that I lived in were next door to each other. And he had his garden in the back of our block of flats. And uh, he was out digging away in the garden. And I went out to tell him something. But um, and I remember I started to cry and he just gave me the biggest hug. And to this day, it, it, it really it, I find it very, very emotional because he was just extremely kind and concerned about me. Um, and when I'd go into his house, maybe to give him the rent or whatever, there'd be lovely pictures um, from his grandchildren, from Bob Jr.'s children in London. And it was just lovely to see them all around his mantelpiece. So I just I feel a real connection to to that family that they don't really know. about. <laughs> Let's hear a little bit of Banana Republic. Banana Republic, septic eye, in the sun, sounds like crime. Everywhere I go, yeah, everywhere I see. And now what do you want now? While you're sleeping with your heart Sharing friends with history It's like a Lincoln running sauce 
40 shades of green, yeah. 60 shades of red. Heroes going cheap these days. Place a bullet in the head. Bob Geldof, Spoontown Rats, Banana Republic. From sometime, I think the early 1980s, was it? Yeah, yeah, I was... I was 12, so now I have to do the maths now. <laughs> it would have been around 1980, yeah, I think. Yeah, it was yeah. after their biggest hits, uh, yeah. Rat Trap and I Don't Like Mondays. Yeah. Okay, your favourite album comes also from your favourite band. So yes. we're going to talk all about your deep love for Bell X1. <laughs> love them, Matt. I just love them. Yeah, so I've chosen Flock as my favourite album because, uh, well, it's just brilliant, but it came out in 2005 and that was the year that my son was born and I suppose when children come into your life everything changes so you kind of have distinct memories of things around that time um, and uh, one of the things I love about Paul Noonan in particular um, and and what he writes is is how real his stuff is um, and wh- what I mean b- by that is um, for example the story uh, Rocky Took a Lover which is one of the songs the, the story behind Rocky Took a Lover which is one of the songs on this album is about a, a, a homeless man who lived out the back of where he was, where Paul Noonan and the lads were living at the time in Dublin. Um, and they had a love-hate relationship and sometimes Rocky could be very, very difficult and other times they're all great mates. Um, but this one morning, uh, Paul Noonan looked out the window and saw that Rocky had a, a lady friend with him. And so he'd obviously had a lovely night with this woman and this song is so beautiful it captures what Paul felt the conversation between those two people on that night of romance which I, which is just a magnificent story and a beautiful song let's hear a little bit of Rocky Takes a Lover that's what I'll do That's what I 
Bellac Swan, Rocky Takes a Lover from Flock. And you still remain a big fan even of the modern day stuff. I absolutely love their stuff. And they are, they're like poets as far as I'm concerned. And they don't use verbose, flowery language. Um, They just use the language of real life. And like, even say from Flock, um, there's um, a song called um, My Firstborn for a Song. And so like in this, he uses, he's, there's a line that goes, somewhere in the sea of club milk's tea and ashtrays, there is a song. And I just <laughs> adore that kind of stuff. I mean, he, he does it again and again and again, like more in, in more, you know, recent days, um, say with the great defector, he says, you know, and this is the romantic line, you're the chocolate at the end of my cornetto. I mean, is there anything more beautiful? One last bit of music before we go to the break. We're in the Culture Club with Anne Griffin, the novelist. Best gig you were at. You've nominated one from your adopted town of Mullingar. <laughs> yes, I have indeed. And so this was a lovely, intimate gig um, with um, uh, the four of us. And I just, so it was in the stables in Mullingar, which is a tiny, tiny venue, but it, and so very intimate. And listening to these guys play, they're so acoustic. It was just, it was very, very moving. And when they, when they sang in particular, um, uh, gospel choir, and uh, Brendan starts off by saying uh, in the song, let, let me start by saying, I'm not sure there's a God. Um, and this so the guy in the song is there in a church and he is listening to this midnight gospel choir and for me in that moment I thought that is me I am that person who is who is kind of who's a non-believer but still finds herself in a church because there's something so peaceful about it I don't go to mass but I will find myself if I'm passing a church particularly in a different town or something that I don't know I'll go in and just have a few minutes and just breathe in that beautiful calm and silence um, but after that gig um, the, the lads actually came out um, to have a pint because it's so intimate <laughs> they have to have the pint with the fans unfortunately for them and my husband who loves who loves chatting went over with the went in with the big handshake and I was mortified because I'm just I'm such an introvert um, but anyway I swallowed all of that and I had a lovely chat with them and was able to tell them was able to thank them for how they had gotten me through accountancy exams that I had sat because <laughs> I was I would just listen to them, you know, until the doors of the exam hall opened and I would feel totally calm because they are so soothing. These guys, they're just brilliant. Let's hear a little bit of gospel choir. Can I stop and say I'm not sure there's a God and this is no confession. So please don't start. It's just in case you're wondering why I come around here a Some prefer illusion, prefer it to the pain. And some ignore the exit sign, they'd rather play the game. But when it all comes down to it, it gets you just the same. She's beat, dead on her feet, and she sings in a midnight gospel choir. Her soul there, she just stares at the stars. So tell me it's alright if 
The four of us in gospel choir. So clearly, Anne Griffin, lyrics and oh. stories and songs are important to you in your musical choices. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it means a lot. I mean, I mean, I, I listen to words all the time, you know, like any other writer. I'm on the street listening to people. I want to hear what people are saying, you know, and, and so, sometimes that makes it into my books. So lyrics are extremely important. Well, great. We'll get to the rest of your choices in the Culture Club and Griffin after this quick break. Welcome back to the second part of the Culture Club here on The Last Word of Today FM. Anne Griffin, the novelist, her author of When All Is Said and now the new novel Listening Still is with us. And uh, you've nominated as your favourite movie Garage with Mark O'Halloran, who actually did a Culture Club with us last year. Why have you picked Garage? Because this movie is one of those movies where I couldn't speak after it. I couldn't. I, I, it was so dis- not disturbing is the wrong word. It just moved me so much. The vulnerability of the character that Pat Short plays um, just touched uh, something deep inside of me. And I will never forget the final scene of Pat Short. I just thought both the writing of Mark O'Halloran, um, Lenny Abramson's directing and Pat Short's portrayal of this ven- very vulnerable um, garage attendant um, just was phenomenal and it won many awards and rightly so. And it's just um, it's it just shows how some people in life who are um, who aren't as able as others can just in trying to fit in, they make a wrong decision and the consequences of that is is just devastating. So I just think it is Irish film writing and directing um, at, at its zenith. Absolutely brilliant movie. We have one other movie you picked as well, which we do have a clip from. One I have to say I'm not familiar with, <laughs> although the star of it, Sam Rockwell, has also been a guest here on The Last Word previously. Oh my goodness, right. I'm going back into the archive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, the movie that I'm not familiar with is The Way, Way Back. Tell mm. us about this. Well, you know, I chose this because of the acting within it. The story itself um, is about a 14-year-old boy um, who just is at that point in his life where he doesn't know himself and he desperately wants to. And he kind of, um, he's he's there away on summer holidays with his mother and, and the mother's partner and it's all going terribly wrong. And he is the loneliest soul. And he is a person you just want to throw your arms around and hug and say, it's okay, you will get there. You'll find out who you are. Um, and it's it's the portrayal of this character by Liam James, the actor, that just um, impressed me so much. And then the relationship that he forms with Sam Rockwell, who plays a wonderful kooky character. Um, and it's the magic of those two people together. And that is why I chose this, this movie. We have a clip from it. No, I know I keep asking you, but when are we getting new employee t-shirts? Two years from uh, yesterday. No, all joking aside, and this makes me self-conscious about my body. It's not a place that I want to be. Disappoint me, kid. You're late. Plan on making a habit of this? What? You're fired. But I just... You make a valid point. Welcome back. It's benefits. You waste an exorbitant amount of time. You know that? Suit up. You don't look too pumped. Come on, let's get pumped. This is the place where dreams are made or destroyed. Depends on how you feel about working at a water park. Um, we have a situation over at Harpoon Lagoon. Is it a homicide? Yeah, it's a homicide. I knew this day would come. I'm gonna stay here. 
in the booth no one comes to. The way, way back. Sam Rockwell, Liam James, Maya Rudolph. Okay, favourite play or theatre show, musical? What are you going for? I'm going for Made in China um, by Marco Rowe. Um, and a wonderful Irish playwright and it is such a hard hitting play <laughs> this one's about um, three young lads um, a gangland story in Dublin and it's a very very physical play and um, it has a real impact on the audience and I saw this in um, the Mullingar Arts Centre and so this is a bit of a shout out to amateur dramatics because um, I suppose living in Mullingar living in rural Ireland I've kind of missed being able to get through to the big theatres and so I often end up um, going to these wonderful plays and this wonderful, wonderful play was done by three young lads in their 20s from Mullingar Um, and they did everything themselves and it blew me away Um, and so it's just it's just a shout out to those those people who you know week after week um, in rural areas bring us wonderful theatre and hopefully they'll be able to do so again after they can reopen after Covid (laughs) okay television shows we ask as a music for the first single we ask what was the TV show that you remember most from your childhood and youth so it's Grange Hill Um, and you know Grange Hill was everything that my world was not it, it was a school with boys and girls. It was a school where you didn't have to have your white socks up to your knees, uh, where you weren't you know, given out to because, you know, you weren't wearing um, you, the right indoor slippers that we had to. And so where did you go to I school? Know, well, I went to an Irish convent <laughs> school, obviously. Uh, yeah, I know indoor slippers, honest to God. And I was caught one day going down the corridor in my runners because I was the sports captain, which is actually hilarious. I was sports captain of the school. I am no more sporty. I was just a great admin. Um, and yeah, I was caught and I can't remember what the punishment was, but it was bad. I remember it being bad. Anyway, so I just would come home and watch Grange Hill and just go into another world that I thought was magnificent. And then as an adult, what do you like most? QI. I adore QI because it does two things that I love. It does laughter and it does learning. Now, one of my downfalls is I'm absolutely crap at remembering things. So I watch QI and I learn all of these new things uh, on a Friday night and then by Sunday it's gone. I can tell you two things I've learned from QI. I've learned how to eat a mango properly and I've learned that crisps are the worst thing for tooth decay. So there you go. So they're the only two things I remember of all the magnificent facts that come through that show. That's what I have learned but I love it. In the bit that we have it says Stephen Fry gets tongue tied over the Acropolis and Bill Bailey, Rob Brydon, Jimmy Carr and Alan Davis all feature. Brilliant. They say of the Acro- Acro- Acropolis where, where the Parthenon is They say of the Acropolis where That's the Parthenon the is They say of the Acropolis where the Parthenon is that they It's not all been too much It turns out they didn't say anything at all
moving on. So, <laughs> the Triglyph is a remnant of the stone. Uh, oh. Sorry. <laughs> Question: What do they say <laughs> about the Acropolis where the Parthenon <laughs> is? They say. <laughs> what do they say? What do they say? <laughs> he's going to say. 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 Okay, QI, something a bit like a 21st century Monty Python sketch. <laughs> okay, we're nearly out of time, Anne Griffin, so very quickly, okay. we won't be able to make clips, but can you nominate a couple of podcasts and why you listen to them? So my first one is You're Wrong About, and this is an American podcast uh, produced and presented by Sarah Marshall and Michael Hobbs, and I love it because it explores um, understood, misunderstood big media events that happen, particularly in America. So it goes from Iran-Contra right through to O.J. Simpson, right through the Tuskegee syphilis study that was done um, back in... in uh, I don't worry, you won't remember the dates given exactly, what you told us I absolutely won't. And the second one, uh, on topic here, because on the second one, it's You're Dead to Me, which is a history podcast. I studied history. I have a BA in history. Couldn't remember a date or a war or what happened in them to save my life. So I love that Greg Jenner, who who produced um, Horrible Histories, wonderful programme, has done this podcast for adults um, and it goes through it. It brings a, a, a specialist in, like a professor or a doctor, alongside a comedian, my favourite thing. So again, it's laughter and learning with this going back over wonderful historical events. Anne Griffin, thank you so much for being with us through the Culture Club and the last word in Today FM. And best wishes for your new novel. The follow-up to When All Is Said, the new novel is called Listening Still. That's it for today's programme here on The Last Word in Today FM.